What's going on, coaches? Hopefully everyone is doing well this week. I'm getting to watch some some playoff football here in Oklahoma, watching some in Texas uh, and, and other places around the region. So hopefully your guys' season is still going on. Uh, if not, let us know if there's anything we can help you guys with. We will be adding new videos to RTP Premium now that everything's slowed down for us a little bit. Uh, we'll hear from Coach Walls and and uh, all about his state championship ring uh, run. And we will also start getting guys to the dojo as soon as we can uh, are, are able to and allowed to. So uh, we're looking forward to all of that. Again, if you guys need anything from us, we've got all of our podcasts, our videos, uh, all of our merchandise, everything hopefully that you could want uh, over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Legend Rings, the official ring supplier of Run the Power podcast. The team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship titles this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and most importantly, affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that you heard it from Run the Power and they will make your ring for free. Again, check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formation, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves times on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP, brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Peter Jennings. Coach Jennings is the OC and quarterbacks coach at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Listen as we talk with Coach Jennings about an excellent way to pre-plan your installations and game plans based on your personnel and the schemes that fit them. You can follow Coach Jennings on Twitter at PDBananas. Hope you guys enjoy. Absolutely. So I, I went to Fort Madison High School, which is a uh, 3A classification high school in southeast Iowa. It's like the third or fourth last city um, south on the Mississippi. And um, 
we struggled a little bit my freshman and sophomore year. We actually, um, I don't think we won a game um, either. Uh, yeah, my freshman or sophomore year. And then um, come our junior and senior years, we were able to, to rattle off a couple six-win seasons, went six and three. Now, um, weren't good enough to make the playoffs. So it was a different, uh, you know, there's different ways to make the playoffs in, in Iowa at that point. But those six-win seasons were really a pretty big deal for the community. And it really helped cement uh, my love for, for the game of football, um, just seeing how people come out of the woodwork um, to see us not even be great, just be good, right? And how it galvanized the community and helped, helped bring people together. And I, I, I really, I felt like that was, that's something special, right? That's, that's something you don't get out of a lot of, a lot of sports or a lot of experiences in life. And um, so I actually, after college or after high school, I went to Bemidji State University, a D2 school in, in Northern Minnesota um, and played uh, just to play football. Uh, in high school, I was a, I was a four-sport athlete. Uh, after spending a couple of years at, at Bemidji State, um, you know, I got a little bit homesick and, and, and missed playing basketball. Uh, I had some really good friends, high school buddies that were uh, at Illinois College, a small Division three school in, in the heart of Illinois. Uh, so I transferred there um, and, and started playing football and basketball and had an awesome, awesome experience. Met, uh, you know, met my Met my wife um, and uh, got to play with high school best friends and, and still have those relationships to, to this day. Um, right out of uh, college, I was able to, I was one of the lucky ones, um, didn't have to do a whole lot of student coaching, didn't have to do um, any graduate assistant work, and, and I got a full-time job right out of the gate at Iowa Wesleyan College in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, which is um, you know, stone's throw away from my hometown. Uh, while I was there, I worked, you know, tirelessly to, to get my master's degree. Um, at the end of the day, financially, it was pro probably would have been better for me to go get a graduate assistant job than get paid what I was paid as a quote unquote full time assistant. Right. And then pay for my master's. Um, <laughs> that's right. But, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the those are the gems of knowledge that I help pass on to, to our young coaches now. Right. Like it sounds great. But let's let's look at the actual dollars and cents at the end of the day. Um, I was able to do a little bit of adjunct teaching work at uh, Iowa Wesleyan College, which I think really helped get me in, my foot in the door for uh, my next job at, at Carroll University, where it was a 30% uh, teaching salary job. And uh, that doesn't happen if I'm not doing the, uh, the extra work um, at Iowa Wesleyan. I, I'm very confident that. Spent five years at, at Carroll University in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Um, actually was part of a, a coaching staff and in, in, in a team that got Carroll to its first ranking, national uh, top 25 ranking um, in its history. I uh, had a couple eight-win seasons there, um, was mentored by, by, by a great man by the name of Mark Kraskowski, really helped me uh, help grow and mature a young and fiery Peter Jennings into to maybe a little bit more uh, laid back and understanding um, coach. And so I really do appreciate uh, the gifts he, he gave me in that sense. Um, after that, I went um, and started coaching with uh, one of my really good friends, uh, longtime friends, uh, Jim Ryan, uh, at Rhodes College. He took over as the head coach there, and um, he offered me a spot. And it was an opportunity to go a little bit south and have uh, go on another adventure, um, help play or help coach for a guy that I played for at Illinois College, who's our defensive coordinator while I was there, and uh, got an awesome, awesome opportunity to to really help him put his stamp on the Rhodes College football program. And uh, after a couple years uh, there, um, actually a lot shorter time than I thought I'd be there, I got a call from um, Coach Bullis at uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. And um, he asked me if I'd have any interest in, in 
um, talking a little bit about their open offensive coordinator and, and quarterbacks coaching position. And, and um, you know, as things normally go, it was, uh, I think, over Christmas break, right before the national convention, if I'm not mistaken, when this first the first conversation happened. And I had just completely renovated my kitchen in my house in Memphis, I had uh, <laughs> fully, fully like reorganized my garage so that it was like, had an awesome workshop, had an awesome workout room. Um, we had just put in a nice little deck on the back, uh, on the, uh, the back side of the house with a, with a tree fort for the kids, like really had made that our house in, in Bartlett, Tennessee, our own. And then coach Bullis comes calling. And um, so really there's a couple of funny stories about, uh, uh, about my my uh, you know my trip to Whitewater, if you will, or, or my travels to Whitewater, or how I got here. Uh, the first one is um, you know we're at the national convention, and I I saw Co- Coach Bullis, and we had spoken, and he said, hey, you know I've got a couple meetings set up. Um, at some point, I'd love to chat. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. And I said, oh hey, great. You know I'm open all weekend. I don't really have any plans. Obviously, I'll skip out of a, a session if it means I get to talk to him, but. I'm a diehard Buffalo Bills fan, and that is my cross to bear. And I, you know, that is something that I, I take pride in, but then I'm also very saddened almost year in, year out, right? A bunch. Well, well, Bills Mafia. Bills Mafia, there you go. I haven't, I haven't jumped off any, any RVs yet, but, uh, you know, had we won that national title game, I might have. Um, but uh, so the, if, this is 2018, I believe right? Something like that. Maybe it's 17, whatever. But the Bills are on like an 18-year hiatus from the playoffs, right? They have made the playoffs. They're, it's just an unbelievable streak of, of just them being terrible. And I had no sooner sat down at a pub with, you know, all of my good coaching buddies to watch the first Buffalo Bills game, playoff game, in two decades, right? Two decades. Oh. I had my order of appetizers. I had my, you know, my, my, my cup of tea or whatever it is. Right. And I get the call from Coach Bullets. Hey, can we meet? Well, we're in Charlotte and we're like a mile and a half away from the, the convention center. So I'm jogging back to the convention center to try to not, not miss as much of this game as possible. Right. So and long and short of it, I, I missed the first half of a horrible, horrible playoff game in which the Bills <laughs> lose by in like a six to three game or something. All my food's gone. Somebody's drank my, you know, my, my beer and, and, uh, and, you know, I, lo and behold, I don't even get offered the job the first time. <laughs> so I did, all, I did all that and uh, they went in a different direction. And it was only because um, Jake Landry uh, got picked up by Northern Illinois uh, after a few weeks on the job that um, I got the call from, from Coach Bullis to uh, that, see if I'd still be interested. And I, I said, absolutely, let's, let's, let's do it up. But it was quite the... Uh, you know, that was quite the day. And I, was, I didn't get to watch the Bills be brutally bad in the playoffs. <laughs> first time in a long time. Well, the first Bills game I remember, because my, my dad's college roommate was Jerry Ostrowski, who played offensive line for the Bills. And so the first Bills game I remember watching, because I was a young kid, was because they were in, you know, they had been really good during the playoffs, was them against um, Tennessee for the uh, Music City Mirror. That was the very first Bills game I remember watching. Uh, so it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been a good, you know, last 18, 20 years for them. No, no. And I can actually – I was a, 
I think a junior in high school when Frank Wycheck threw that uh, threw that ball across the field to Kevin Dyson, and I was sitting in the Bettendorf Gymnasium getting prepped <laughs> to play a a varsity basketball game when the news hit that this happened, and I'm like, how can I go play now? Like I can't. <laughs> like I'm devastated. I'm heartbroken. That's so funny. So 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 my question is. Obviously, you know, you don't get the job and it's a, it's a little bit different in the coaching world as the recruiting world, but as you know, I've never gone through that, you know, where even anyone's wanted to come and find me to want to interview me to hire me, but I have gone through the recruiting process and, and I hear all these kids that get recruited that these schools, you know, hey, we're not going this direction, we're going to go in a different direction and then um, right at signing day, the kid drops and then they call the other kid, you know, kid kid B back up and say, Hey, you know, now we want you. And then, you know, that kid's, you know, maybe his feelings are a little hurt or maybe he doesn't go there because he already was, you know, they went a different direction was obviously there wasn't too many hard feelings because you ended up there, but was it, was it a, a tough thing at all for you to go through mentally or, or think about, Hey, they, they wanted to go this direction with him. And, but now he's gone to a different school and now they're calling me up or was it, are you just so used to the business that, Hey, that's how things go. I'm glad that I got this opportunity. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a couple of layers to that onion that we could pull back. Um, truly, one of the things that I've been blessed every step of the way is I've always had a really, what I feel like is a really good job. So when I got the call from Coach Polis to say that they were going, uh, they were going a different direction that first time, I, I was actually somewhat relieved because guess what that didn't mean? I didn't have to figure out how I was going to commute 10 hours each way to right. see my two kids and wife. It means that I don't have to go find a house. I don't have to sell a house. You're like, so there was a level of like, okay, I can, yeah, okay, we can, we can move forward here at Rhodes. And, and again, I'm working for one of, one of my best friends and a great mentor. Um, and so walking away was not easy to begin with. And so I didn't, you know, all of a sudden I'm not faced with that decision or even that opportunity. And, and there was a little bit of relief. Now, with that being said, you, you know, I'd be lying to you if I, if I told you that I wasn't, I don't feel extremely capable being put into any position across a lot of different, uh, a lot of different levels. Right. So to think that somebody that, that, you know, I mean, not, this is not a knock on, on Jake and I, I, feel bad if he's uh you know his name's come up so much in this interview but right like I feel like I am very comfortable to to Jake Landry and can do a great job no different than any offensive other offensive coordinator in the country so um but I'm confident in my abilities and I'm confident in, in, in that belief and and I also know that sometimes it's just not the right fit or somebody doesn't see it quite as well as you do but I was not in the slight I did not feel slighted I did not um, uh, you know, I, I did not hold, harbor any ill will. It was a decision that the program went. At the end of the day, Jake Landry is probably winning a lot of games here as the offensive coordinator if he was here instead of me, right? I mean, that's just, that's the way it is. So, um, but yeah, there was a little bit of relief, a little bit of disappointment. And then obviously when um, Coach Bullis's number rings onto my cell phone three weeks later, I was like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> So, so my other question is, obviously, like, and I haven't gone through this just as an offensive line coach, but as an OC at a high school, you know, it's said a bunch in high school, hey, you've got to be a coordinator. Well, you've got to change a little bit of your offense every year, or not change it, but you've got to mold it to the kids that you've got. Obviously, in college, you get to recruit a little bit more towards the kids that fit your system. So when you go in, I feel like when you go in and, and, and 
interview for an OC in high school. Yeah, you've got your, your way you want to run your offense, but you're also showing, hey, I can mold, I can do this. If we've got these certain kids, I can do this. Where in college, you can at least somewhat recruit to, to that style. Do you go in and, and have like, this is the offense that I love and I want to live and die by as a college, you know, when you're interviewing for college? Or do you look at what that team has done previously? Do you ask questions of that head coach first? How does that work when you're going into a college offensive coordinator interview, um, you know, mindset or, or when you're talking about your offense? I've been lucky in the sense that the people that I've interviewed uh, as a coordinator with uh, want me because of my offense, right? Maybe they like me. They think I'm a nice guy. I'm a fun guy to hang out with on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know, right? But they, they want me because – the offense has proven to be successful uh, at different, very different levels um, and in very different ways, right? When I was at Iowa Westland, um, we were four and five wide almost exclusively uh, my last year as an offense coordinator there, and we were, we were just slinging it around because that's the personnel we had. When I got to Carroll, I didn't change our offensive scheme. I just changed the play call or the, the number of times I called empty you know, empty pass pros or empty formations, right? I just, it's still the same scheme. It doesn't, that doesn't change. And so, um, and I was able to tailor it to a much stronger running game at Carroll, right? We had one of the best running backs in division three um, for three of my years there. And so we handed the ball off to Lamont a ton. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, I'm a big believer in getting your ball players, the, the ball as many times as possible, right? When I got to Rhodes, the scheme didn't change, but we had a hyper-talented, unbelievably strong-armed and, and fast quarterback. And so we built that offense, that same scheme, the same offense. We just called more plays for P.J. Settles. We put P.J. Settles in positions to be successful. We highlighted him. Um, so it was really easy when I uh, got the call here at Whitewater um, to tell Coach Bullis, hey, I can be whoever you want to be. And I don't have to change anything about the offense. It's just the number of times we call certain schemes in a game, certain formations in a game, certain personnel groups in a game. It's really simple. I, I have this, um, a canvas, right, that you can see, right, um, that, that I have had success doing it a lot of different ways. Now, I could see the, uh, the other side of that um, being recruited because, as a, as a coordinator, because you are a great recruiter or because you're a really good play caller, um, but you have an offensive-minded head coach or you have a scheme or system that's been in place for a long time and that you have to fit into that, that mold, that would be hard for me. I'm not saying impossible, but that would be hard for me. And I've just been blessed in the sense that that hasn't been asked of me. Um, but yeah, there is, a, there is a benefit to being able to recruit. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I will say it till I'm blue in the face, and it's an old coaching cliche. It's at the end of the day, it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right? So we got to go out and recruit better players than the guys we're seeing. And, you know, all of a sudden you can look like a pretty good, uh, pretty good coordinator. <laughs> Coach, you said something earlier, and I am taking notes here, and, and I wrote, you said confidence. So, I mean, knowing you as, as, a, as a coach, as a coordinator, you know, and it kind of came to you early. So when, when I think you're going to be a good offensive coordinator, you got to have some of that, that swag or that confidence. You know, can you talk kind of a little bit about you know, when you felt like you were ready and then maybe kind of how you got yourself ready? I just thought that was an interesting word. It stuck out to me, your confidence. So Aaron Keene, who is now the uh, head coach at Washington University in St. Louis and uh, was previously the offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, he was my head coach and offensive coordinator at Illinois College. And he did an unbelievable job of 
breaking the game down so that we as quarterbacks and, and players, because there are a lot of receivers sat in these same meetings, um, voluntary, right? Voluntary meetings in the offseason. Don't, don't, don't miss that, right? It's That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> but when, when, he would, when he would break things down, when he, when he would dissect things, he created an environment of learning that was so easy to soak up and so easy to, to see the why. And then, so if you see the why, then you're going to know the how, you're going to know the what, all that, right? And he did a great job really just breaking the game down for us and to a point where it became very simple. And it was really easy for me to see different pieces or how different pieces fit, right? Like, if, you know, I always say defense is at the end of the day, pretty simple. Two plus two always equals, <laughs> always equals four, right? And if you have two high safeties, there's only so many coverages you can run. That's plain and simple, right? And not to go too much deeper into that. So understand uh, the rules of the game. And then you can really – you do gain a ton of confidence in, in calling towards those – or calling with those rules in mind, calling plays with those rules in mind. Love it. And then I think, you know, the other thing – and I'd met you and heard about you, you know, through some of the other Zoom stuff you've done and, and super interesting way. And you've already kind of touched on how you have tailored and, and moved your offense. Can you tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about how you kind of analyze, you know, going into fall camp? You know, how we know we're, we're going to be an inside zone team. We might be a gap team. I thought that was fascinating. I think there's a lot to be learned from that. You don't have to give, you know, everything. But the, the overview and kind of the analytics you used behind it, I thought were phenomenal. So something I, I picked up a long time ago um, was that it was the idea of the overage, right? The overage idea. Like, how many plays can you actually run in a week and feel like you've mastered them? And this came from this came to me when I was a young coordinator. I was at Iowa Wesleyan College, and we went on a little bit of a, a, a streak. I think we won. Now I'm gonna. I hope I don't misspeak. I think we won like three games in a row, right? Which at Iowa Wesleyan hadn't been done since you know Hal Mummy and Mike Leach were there, right? This was this was a big deal. Well, we're clicking on offense. We're clicking on all cylinders, and um, this is middle of the season. Well, by the end of the season, all of a sudden, it seemed like our guys were playing a little bit slower. Um, weren't able to, you know, there's a lot more mistakes happening. Um, and that's really struck me. And I got to the, the, the AFCA convention and ended up running into to Mike Leach in, in, in a hallway and we were all together and he recognized the Iowa Westing gear. And somehow the conversation led to, you know, I talk to my guys all the time about how that's a great play, but it's not for us, right? That works for somebody and they, they're probably really good at it and it's not for us. And that's, that, that was an aha moment for me as a coordinator and a play caller and a designer of an offense in the sense that there can be thousands of great plays, but how can you work on them? How can you master them? How can your kids grasp the concept, right? Something that I take unbelievable amounts of pride in, and, and our wide receivers here don't get a, a, enough credit for this. Um, we played a 15-game season, and in 15 games, in something like 500 and or 470 pass attempts or something like that. We ran three wrong routes, three in 15 games. That's phenomenal. And that's 100% because we keep in mind what the overage is, how, much, can, how many play calls can we actually carry into a game and feel confident we've mastered them. And so we utilize a system called the pie chart system, and you can utilize whatever, you can use, utilize whatever graphic or visual, visualization you want with this. But the idea is that if you want to be 50-50 run pass, your pie is already cut in half, 
right? Already cut in half. And we start every season saying we're going to be 50-50 run pass, no matter where I've been, and then we adjust because an offense is an ever-evolving organism, right? Who you are at the start of camp is inevitably not who you are on the bye week, right? Injuries, guys are playing better, guys are playing worse than expected, whatever it may be. So you break that down even further. If you say that I want to run 25% uh, of our play calls in the run game are going to be inside zone, now all of a sudden you're at three pieces of pie. You have 25% inside zone, you have 25% other run game, and you're at 50% pass. And you just keep breaking that down into slices, and it becomes very evident that if you say I'm going to run a play, a base, if you call a base run play something that you're going to run two times a game, well, that slice of pie is minuscule. It's tiny. It's, it, it, it's almost, almost too expensive, if you will, to carry into a game. And you've really got a way if, if that slice of pie, that two-play-a-game uh, two slice of pie, is, is, is worth bringing in. Is that an adjustment? Is that something that's going to hit a home run? You got to look at the, that, uh, the cost benefit. And, and I think I feel very strongly in the way we've utilized the pie chart system, the way we talk about it as a staff, um, it creates really clear lines of communication. Our entire staff gets on board with what our end goal is and what we expect to see our tight ends coaches and out there um, working pin and pull um, all season for us to run it four times in the first four weeks, right? He knows what we're attacking. We're going to attack with inside zone. We're going to attack with wide zone. We're going to use a gap power. So let's build off of that knowledge. And we do that throughout the, we do that a couple times a year and, and definitely going into preseason. And then we do it again once we're leaving preseason and going into the season so that we can see exactly how we've adjusted through the course of camp. So is that something then in, in the spring, which I know everything's been crazy this year, obviously, but in the spring that you're trying to, front load and throw everything at the kids and so you guys can see what's going to work? I mean, are you trying to throw the – I guess that's the two big ones is, you know, I've been at places or I've only been here, but we've had years that, you know, we cut everything up and, and we give them all the base stuff in the, in the spring. And then in the fall, we add all of our tags and we add all the fancy ways we can do it and, you know, fancy ways. And then we've also done it in the spring where we throw the entire playbook at them and, and they probably don't master much of it. But now they've got the entire playbook. And now in the fall, once we decide what that pie chart is, now we can narrow it down to those, you know, heavy plays that we need to, you know, master or have a heavy percentage. How do you go about, you know, your spring installing of the playbook? So we utilize spring. Uh, we install very similarly in spring that we do to fall. And I'd say it's probably 80% consistent when it comes from what our spring install looks like to what our fall looks, install looks like. That 20% is usually some, some gimmicky. I don't want to say gimmicky. It's a bad thing. We don't run a lot of motion. Let's say that. Okay. I don't, I, I just, I don't We're Mike ID system running motion slows us down trying to get 80 plays in a game. Um, so, but every spring, guess what we work a ton on motion because I'm like, this is the year I'm going to feel more comfortable. doing. It, right? <laughs> so when I say there's some, there's a difference between spring and fall, it's usually that we have something that we think is the missing piece. Right. Um, this past year, uh, my, or my first year at, at Whitewater, we didn't run mesh at all. Didn't run any version of it um, until we got into the, the national semifinal game against Mary Harden Baylor. And we watched Jackson Urban, which was one of the best quarterbacks in the country for, for a number of years, um, absolutely do work running mesh concepts, right? And so now all of a sudden we're in week 14, and I'm like, hey, we've got to at least install some version of this because we're going to need to get a third and five, right? Um, well, it, it worked. We did fine with it. We didn't win the game in the, in the semifinals. But we knew 
that there's a shot that we're going to see a team as talented as Mary Harden Baylor, or if not Mary Harden Baylor yet, which we did. And so we worked in the spring ball on mesh. And we really threw that at our guys as one of our base concepts. And we carried that all into the season. It was a really successful play for us. So it's a little bit of trial and error plays that we think we're going to need, right? Plays that complement other, other plays or other schemes that we do that maybe we, we're, we weren't great at or that we need to add so we can be a better offense. Um, but then it's also just some gimmick stuff, some stuff that we're trying to see if that's, if that's a flavor that we want to continue to taste, if you will, right? Another kind of question with that and with offseason more is I hear a lot of college coaches, and I don't think it's something I do a very good job of, but you hear a lot of college coaches that have been at a place that say, okay, in the offseason, especially now with all the, you know, this downtime, we're really going back and looking at our plays. We're seeing why it was, it was successful when it was, why it was, uh, why our negative plays or why our, our short yardage plays, why they didn't, why it didn't work out well for us. And, and they're kind of examining their different schemes uh, that they had throughout the year. How, how do you go about breaking down, you know, whatever, inside zone? How do you go about breaking it down and, and deciding how you guys, you know, was it good? Was it bad? What made it good? What made it bad? Are you, are you just putting one big playlist of inside zone and, and going through each? Are there different ways that you're tagging and cutting that up? How, how does that work for you? We are – I am a very data-driven guy when, at, at the end of the day. And, and I someday hope I have the, the, the funding to, to invest in some of these big companies that are giving great analytics to – to, to the Power Five and, and to some of the Division One programs because some of that stuff is, is crazy, crazy good and I think can be crazy beneficial. At the same point, there isn't a paralysis by analysis, right? So you got to make sure that you're looking at the right data. You can't look at, um, you know, yards yards per play or the, the average rushing yards on inside zone. That can't happen, right? Because if you hit two 90-yard runs um, and the rest are, you know, negative two, you still have a pretty good average, right? I and mean, at the end of the day. So you got to look at efficiency and so – we, we break down efficiency in, in a relatively traditional way. On, on first down, if you get four, four more yards, it's an efficient play. On second down, if you get half the distance back, it's, uh, or if you cut the second down distance in half or get a first down, it's an efficient play. On third down, you have to get the first down, or, uh, and it's an efficient play. And so we analyze each of our plays based off of that, that metric. And then we also look at um, how they stack up in formation. So we don't just look at, what inside zone is across the board, right? Yeah, we, we have a playlist that's all of our inside zone clips, but we're looking at it from two backs. We're looking at it from 11 personnel. We're looking at it against a tight front. We're looking against it, at it against a traditional Oki, against a, a pro box. And so we're looking at the efficiency of each of these plays so that we can find out what we are really good at and maybe there is just a schematic issue with what we're trying to do, right? Do we need to push the point forward against a, a, a pro box, a, a zeroed up mic, right? Is that something we need to do more often? Are we, are we asking our guys to do things that they can't do? So that's what, how we look at it, right? And so if something's really efficient, we're going to study that. Why is that so efficient? Why is it so good? If something's really inefficient, we're going to study that. Are we asking too much of our guys? Um, am I calling it at the wrong time, right? Is it just a bad scheme? Um, and so, and then if something fits in the, it's pretty efficient. Yeah. We skim through that and, 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 and feel good about it, but we really try to look at the outliers there. Um, but we'll look at it formationally. We'll look at it personnel wise. We look at it scheme wise. Um, shoot. I, I, you know, if, if coach Allen, our offensive line coach was uh, here to talk to you guys, he'd be telling you that I've cut pin and pull from the, from the playbook six times this off season. Right. And <laughs> somehow it's still in. So, um, 
but uh, but so yeah, we look at it. We look at a lot of different uh, data points, the different you know different uh, markers, if you will. You know, we had um, you know we had this whole huddle playlist, right? Like, not playlist, but all these films, uh, all these game films on huddle from all of our opponents, and we actually went through and we were talking about starting to do some more under center stuff. And I actually had uh, our staff go through and look at all the under center clips that we had, so that we could get a, an average per play and an efficiency. Uh, number of under center clips from the teams that we had under center clips from so that we could see if hardball play action was actually going to be a beneficial addition to our hardball under center play action would be a, a beneficial addition to our offense. And at, at the end of the day, the, the numbers for us, the film we have, the data we have does not suggest that that would be the case, but we, we try to find any edge that way. I mean, you have all this film, you got to try to use it, right? So we don't just look at ourselves. We look at, try to look at the trends, uh, of the conference and, and, and of the region as well. Coach, how do you slice up, you know, the, the pass side of the, of the pie? You know, obviously you're going to have, you know, your nakeds, your play actions, your screens. I'm interested to kind of hear, you know, the, the different categories you have. And then if you do run RPO, how do you kind of, you know, function in that world known as kind of gray between those two? So we break it up as in uh, as quick game, drop back, quick game, drop back. We do lump our play action stuff together because it does become a little bit hectic if you try to break that down too much. Um, but we um, don't have it. We have two base play action protections, right? And so one's one's a uh, you know one's just a hardball fake with uh, true hinge slides uh, protection, and then the other is uh, power pass. Um, now you know, we are going to have a few different options this this coming year. That's one of the things that we really looked hard at this off season, uh, but you know, we do lump the play action together. Um, we hitch naked's its own, uh, uh, its own category. Naked boot is its own category. Um, we count screens and draws as the same. Um, and that's just, that's, that's how my mind works. It's attacking in the same manner in a very similar manner. So I don't want to, uh, if you split those up, then you really are splitting up that pie very, uh, very thinly. Um, and then when you get to RPOs, that is the catch 22. And I don't have the end-all be-all answer for that well I probably don't have the end-all be-all answer for anything but I don't know if I have the end-all be-all answer for the RPO piece we we treat our RPOs as they as if they're three-step concepts once we get the pull read uh, so if you throw it we count it as a three-step concept if you give it we're counting it as our inside zone or power whichever we're we're actually uh, actually running and that does skew the pie and that is a little bit of a conversation starter amongst our staff if you if you were in our staff meeting room uh, we probably talk about that every other week how how do we more effectively pair those um so that they are consistent now do you, when you're breaking down you know let's say inside zone are, are you guys breaking down differently inside zone that's a pure give as opposed to inside zone with an rpo tag to it uh even if the guy doesn't throw it or uh, do you kind of all lump those in in with the same that's inside zone. So read zone for us, we are decent. We run a decent amount of read zone. And even if, um, even when we don't have quarterbacks that are true run threats, um, we are going to try to utilize him in the run game. So read zone is its own category. Um, but then we also offer, we also talk about true inside zone. And then that goes back to uh, what Brady's question was. We will also um, try to separate the RPO piece, but if it's a give and it's an inside zone call, it goes to inside zone. So, Something you mentioned at the first that gives me panic attack every time I hear it as an offensive line coach is, is you kind of started out and you were very, you know, like you said, four or five wide, a lot of empty. 
how did you go about uh, protections with your quarterback and your offensive line? I think, you know, there's a big split between offensive line coaches out there that, uh, you know, kind of me, my whole life was very high on, I just would like the quarterback to make the call. That way he knows where he's protected, where he's hot, uh, and let us, you know, go where he tells us to. I think there's a lot of offensive line coaches out there that say, hey, let us make the call, let the quarterback not think about his protection, you know, as much and, and see what we are telling him. And now he knows off of an offensive lineman. How did you guys uh, initially go about your protections? And, and, you know, empty protections can be a whole, whole, its own, you know, whole bag of worms at times. Yeah, yeah, that, there's, you're not lying about that. The people that are good at empty protection, they, they really do. Um, they're, they either call it at the right time <laughs> a lot, right? Or they um, do a great job scheming and, and put the quarterback in the center in, in a great position to be successful. I actually have uh, wavered a little bit on this. I've gone back and forth a little bit. Uh, if a quarterback is capable, if you're confident in your quarterback's ability to make the calls, by all means, I think it should be in his hands because he is he is the trigger man. It's at the end of the day, it's his life on the line when it's pass pro, right? Like he's the guy that's gonna get lit up. Um, he's the guy that has an idea based off a of safety rotation, based off of leverage, where he's going with the ball. Uh, and so I think it's awesome when he ha when you have the right guy there and you feel confident in him making those calls, give him that freedom. One thing I found out, and this goes back to sort of my overage thing, and you talk about what gives you chills. Uh, it's what gives me chills. What gives me the heebie-jeebies is uh, having too much in, right, and putting too much on a kid's plate, not letting the kid play fast. One thing that's changed with our game and uh, is, is how much pressure and responsibility we put on the quarterback. When I was playing quarterback in college, right, when I was playing quarterback in college, all I had to do was 50% of the time I was going to have a read, 50% right? Because we threw the ball 50% of the time. So if it was a pass play, I knew that this was going to come on me. Um, and if it was a run play, I was going to turn around and hand the dang ball off, right? That was it. Right. There was nothing right. else. And now what this game has turned into is the quarterback's truly making a decision every single snap in a lot of offenses. And so when you put that type of pressure on a quarterback, when you put that type of responsibility, there's a piece of me that says adding the, the protection responsibility just isn't healthy for him, doesn't allow him to play, play fast, and probably isn't getting you into the right situations as many times as you'd like to. So I think there's a fine line, right? And yeah, you have the right kid at quarterback, and he's going he's gonna to want it, he's going to relish it, and he's going to be great at it. You have a guy that maybe isn't quite as confident, heck, just let him make the RPO reads, let him make the, 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 the read off the defensive end or the safety or whatever it is, or let him drop back and throw it and, and have the center call it. I also think there's a there's you know if you have the right center, I mean he can make the call, right? We had two years ago we have a kid that's playing, uh, he's playing for the Rams now. Nate uh, Nate Truen won the Remington Award for best Division three center. I mean he's just a monster, right? He understood it. He got the game. He was as good as I mean he was calling protections better than I was, right? So go for it, Nate. Be great at it. Do what you do, right? Play to you. You got to coach to your player's strength. So. There's, you know, it's a long-winded answer to say that I think that we have, there are certain scenarios where we have overloaded our quarterbacks and we are slowing them down and we are not allowing them to process the game as quickly as they need to because we're giving them too much responsibility. The same point, if you have a quarterback that can handle that, he's the guy that I'd want making those calls. You guys teed up my next question. So, I mean, to me, that's the, the lifelong debate and, and you're seeing it more and more in, you know, Division One, and obviously guys have lost their job in the NFL because – they've taken the wrong quarterback or 
you see, you know, hey, we, we thought we had this guy, you know, Joe Burrow transfers, Baker Mayfield transfers. So you're seeing some of the guys move when in, in all actuality, you know, hey, they thought they were the guy to begin with. But, you know, I'm always interested to hear from OCs and, and QB coaches, you know, how do you know that guy's the one? Well, you got to find somebody that loves the game, first and foremost. I mean, if the kid doesn't love – you can't be – if you're going to play high-level football anywhere, it doesn't matter what – and high-level at your level, right, whether you're playing high-level Division three, high-level Division two, NAI, whatever it may be, NFL, um, you've got to love the game, and it doesn't matter what position. If you don't love the game, you're going to get exposed, you're going to get chewed up, you're going to get spit out. But that's very true at the quarterback position too. You've got to love – the grind, right? And I say grind, and, and that's an endearing term to me. But you, you, you got to love being with the guys. You've got to love taking on leadership roles, whether that's vocally or non, uh, non-verbally, whatever it may be. You know, you lead by example, guy, or you vocal leader. But you've got to love the game, and you got to show it. And you got to show it to your teammates, and you got to show it to your coaches because that creates buy-in. And you can get a really good sense talking to high school coaches if a quarterback loves the game. Like no matter how well they're try, think they're selling a quarterback you know really quickly if you're getting if you're if he's just giving you lip service or if the kid really 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 wants to be something special right another thing that i look uh look for is is toughness just and it's really obvious um in 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 film um when you're watching a kid on film is he shying away from hits is he standing in the pocket you've got to stand in the pocket you're going to get hit i've got to have a kid that isn't afraid um, we also are really very, I'm very cognizant of looking for guys that can throw off schedule, right? Are you a guy that can make the throw as things break down or can you escape? You don't have to be the fastest, but are you creative once you're out of the pocket? It, it's not always as natural as people think creating when things break down. People think that that's just what quarterbacks do. No, that's what the great quarterbacks do, right? That's what the really good football players do. Um, and so you got to find a kid that's capable of making off-schedule throws, that's capable of extending the play. Uh, I love arm strength, but that's because of where, we, where, where I coach at, right? We coach in Wisconsin. We, had, we played 15 games, and I think 11 of them were raining, snowing, or had, you know, 25-mile-an-hour wind. So, um, right, like, so we, I, got, I do love arm strength, but at the end of the day, if your feet are good and if your timing's good and you're accurate, we can, we can work with that. But I really want to see somebody that loves the game. I want to see somebody that's tough, that's got grit. And I want to see somebody that can create and, and is an off-schedule football player. Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we did, you know, speaking about uh, just different uh, breakdowns we do, um, we looked at how many times our quarterback threw with a truly clean pocket this year. You guys have, I mean, do you have, do you have any idea what I, this, we're talking 30 8% of the time he threw with a truly clean pocket. 38%. Jeez. So, and, and we're, like, we're good, hypothetically, right? <laughs> like, like, we only gave up, I think, 14 sacks or something like that in 14 games. I, I, you know, like, we're, we have a great offensive line. We have a great offensive line coach. But that's just the, that's, that's the way the game is played. It's not a beautifully clean pocket that you're thrown into. You don't get to just drive, you know, push, push, and step up and uh, deliver rockets. You've got to be able to avoid people that are coming basically to end you. <laughs> so is, is that something at all that is coachable? Is that something that you guys work on, you know, getting out of the pocket with the receivers, with the quarterback? And I know there's, I guess, old school scramble drill. I don't know. I just, you know, I don't watch the quarterbacks and receivers enough. I, I'm busy with the offensive linemen. But you, like you said, you see those teams that are really good. Those quarterbacks are making plays that aren't necessarily drawn up plays. Is that just purely off of a, a kid's ability and some kids are special and can do that? Or 
is there a lot of things that you're doing in practice? Are there a lot of things that you're doing in practice that um, help a kid or can develop a kid into a kid that makes plays once the play breaks down? I think it's like, I think it's like anything. There are pieces of it that are more natural for some kids than others, but we absolutely work it. I mean, one example, now we do a lot of indie drills. I don't have any role in special teams. So I, I get all the, I get the quarterbacks and anybody that's not involved in special teams, they'll come with me and I can work um, off schedule throws, getting back on platform, right. Making sure that our mechanics are strong. We, we, we call them worst case throw drills. Um, I have a bunch of those. And so we'll work that a lot. We'll work the mechanics of, of throwing off schedule. Um, we create a bunch of different um, environments uh, for the quarterbacks with the quarterbacks where it's, you know, we, it's just all of our different pocket presence drills where we'll have a, somebody rush upfield shoulder, somebody rush near shoulder. Now you got to spin out and you've got to find the target that's open. Um, so we will work that. One of the big things that we do that I don't think everybody does. And, 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 and I think it, they're, they're missing out an opportunity is when we're running through Skelly or seven on seven, there's never, we never blow the whistle. Like that thing's live until the quarterback throws the ball, meaning he's going to go and we're a progression read team. He's going to go through his progression. He gets to the fourth read. Nobody's open or whatever it is. He is now spinning out and trying to extend the play and drive the ball vertically or get yards. And he's not allowed to cross the line of scrimmage until he runs out of real estate, right? Like, so he's going to stay there and he's going to work and work and work laterally, whatever it may be to try to make it helps with the defense, the DBs locking on and doing their scramble drills. Um, scramble rule drills, but it also helps the quarterback feel more comfortable with what throws he can make as he's sprinting laterally and guys are moving either with him or against the grain. And, uh, and I think that, uh, again, I think people miss the opportunity um, when they just blow that dead, right? The, the, so one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, blow it dead. Well, no, let, let the guys work. That makes a ton of sense. I, I've never, ever thought of that. And uh, I'm sure at first it pisses some defensive guys off, yeah. but like you said, if they understand the drill, just like one-on-one -on -one pass pro is for the offensive line, if you understand the drill and, and how it can get you better, uh, I love – I've never heard that idea, but I love it. And, and it makes so much sense that if the quarterback never works on some of these throws on the run or some of these tight windows, at least in, in seven on seven, when's he going to work on it? I mean, he'll never know what he can and can't fit in or what he can do on the run if, if it's just, okay, now in the game, you know, figure it out. That's absolutely right. And that's, I mean, that at the end of the day is what practice is all about, right? Is challenging yourself to find out what you're capable of doing. And right. as a coach, I need to know what my quarterbacks are capable of doing, what our, what our wide receivers are capable of doing and, and what the offensive line and on and on and on, right? And where their pitfalls are. And then we've got to help build them up wherever their uh, weaknesses are. We've got to help strengthen those, right? But in, unless you challenge people, unless you're putting them into uncomfortable situations, you have no idea what you know where you need to start and the worst time to understand somebody's weakness is in a game game night <laughs> right? yep <laughs> right coach man uh completely love it got a ton of great notes here um another interesting thing you said you're talking about you know like mechanics and things like that you know i know a ton of college coaches they'll they'll talk footwork 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 till they're blue in the face but it seems like a lot of them almost like like have a snide comment or laugh about mechanics because it's like, well, I just go recruit my guy and he's got to throw this way or that way. You know, how much is that? Do you think it's maybe, you know, not understanding that or just knowing I can go get that. But I feel like, you know, the best quarterback coaches, 
can correct a lot of the, you know, mechanical issues that, that kids do have. I mean, you watch Peyton Manning with, with Cutcliffe. Cutcliffe could fix him. You know, I, I think there's a lot of QB coaches out there, and to me they're, quote, the best ones. They have a mechanical basis. They don't just say, oh, you, you don't throw it pretty enough. I'm going to go get a new guy. I think, yeah, it's like anything. There's, there are absolutely rules that you have to – I don't want to say abide by – but there are, there are rules to throwing, right? It's a powerful movement, and people don't understand that it's a powerful movement. And um, I will talk all the time about where we're carrying the ball. You know, I, 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 um, Jeff Tedford talks about uh, keeping the ball on the shelf, and I love that. It gives, it gives a visual, which is peck extended, gives a visual for the quarterback. It's, they're loaded. They're ready to throw, right? And then where we go from, where we go from there, absolutely. You've got to have great feet, right? You've got to have great feet, but you have to, have, you have to keep your lead arm high. You can't drop that lead arm. If you drop that, drop that lead arm, you're physically, physiologically wired to drop your trail arm, which is your throwing arm. And so now all of a sudden, you have a long and looping motion. Those are things that are really easily fixed. Get the ball on the shelf. Keep a high lead arm. Your trail arm is going to stay high, right? Um, that's, not, that's not rocket science. It's stuff that, 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 that can be, like I said, fixed in, in, you know, not overnight, but with a few quick lessons or a few quick practices. Uh, at the end of the day, feet are hugely important, right? You get, but I think so many people do too many footwork drills, right? If, if I showed you a, a list of, sorry, I just dropped some. If I showed you a list of um, my everyday drills, I mean, it's, it's not a huge portfolio. And why is that? Because I feel like we accomplish everything we need to. It's all backed by the, by, by the techniques that you see in a game or the necessities of, of game day, right? Like we don't do drills that you're not going to see um, on game film. That's not what we do. We don't operate in that world, right? Like, um, but uh, it's not, like I said, it's not a huge portfolio of drill work, uh, but it gets the job done and our guys can move through it very quickly, right? So I can get a lot of different unique drills that are working on where we're carrying the ball, how we're releasing the ball, um, when we're releasing the ball against pressure, how we can make the, uh, uh, the best of a bad scenario, right? Like there are, I have three drills that, that I've, you know, that I really buy into that are all based off of you made the wrong read. You did the wrong thing. How do you live to play another down? Right. And we talk about that a lot, right? You pull the ball wrong. What do you do? You, um, you decide that you're hot and you're not, where's that ball go? Where do you miss? Do you dirt it? Do you throw it out of bounds? Um, what, what is it? Right. And so, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that people do have a, a tendency to, give themselves a cop out by saying, I'll just go recruit my guy. But that doesn't help all of us, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm not offering scholarships. So I am somewhat going to take the guy that I, that the best of what I can get, right? As high school coaches, you don't get a recruit, right? If you're a high school coach, so you are taking who you have. So you better be willing to try to work with a release. You better be willing to try to work with a lead arm or a, or a lazy trail hip or whatever it may be. And I'm sorry, I get passionate about that stuff. So I, I got to settle down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, coach. Well, so kind of with that point, you know, you, you talk about um, a quarterback and how many decisions they've got to make, uh, you know, even in the run game now with an RPO or whether it's zone read. How do you set them up in practice to, to make these decisions in practice? Because I think what, what at least we fall into at the high school level is, you know, when, when we're doing – zone read and inside run or, or whenever trying to get your your third team defensive end to understand to play down the line of scrimmage or play at the quarterback and, and if he does 
one of those two. A lot of times it's over-exaggerated. It's not a real look. You're never going to get the kind of halfway look, it seems like, uh, you know. And I'm sure maybe guys run into that same, you know, false sense uh, with certain RPOs that, that guys run. How do you get those quarterbacks a good look in practice? So I'm a big believer in the whole part whole approach. And, and this is going to be going to circle back to that. Um, but we'll walk through everything we do before we even drill it. So the quarterbacks are going to see it on film. We're going to walk through it as a team, as an offense. Um, and then that's when we pull it back out and practice it. And so what I actually do is I put the onus on the uh, quarterbacks to make sure they're giving the, the, each other a great look when we are in Indy. So our quarterbacks are studying, right? We're watching how a defensive ends playing zone read, right? Field defensive ends going to box it. Uh, boundary defensive ends going to chase, whatever it may be. We're watching that technique in, in, in our film room, right? We're watching that every day before practice. So now we go out. We're working a mesh drill. Well, who's working? Who, uh, who's playing the defensive ends? Well, the quarterbacks that were in the meeting room that heard me talking about the different techniques. So now I hold those guys, make them, make them hold each other accountable for giving an appropriate look. So I'm not putting it on a third string defensive end or, or fourth string D tackle or whatever it may be. Same thing in the RPO game. Hey, this is how this safety looks as he's creeping, right? You're going to see this creep. What does this safety do? What are we, how we, we see that on film and then we emulate it on, on the practice field in that, and that part, the quote-unquote part of practice, our indie time. And we get really good looks out of those quarterbacks, and they take a lot of pride in trying to – first of all, they think it's fun because they get to play defense and do this all, all – you know, you know how <laughs> right. it is, right? But, um, but they take pride in giving each other a really good look, and you should hear our – like our, our starter, the kid that uh, did a great job for us in the playoffs, um, and we did it, made a great run with him. I mean, he is going to get after you if you're giving him a sloppy look. And nobody wants you to yell that, right? So these guys work pretty hard for each other. So that's how we get around it. Um, we, we create, you know, indie drills that are going to mirror what we're going to see in team and hopefully mirror what we're going to see on game day. And uh, we put the onus on, on, on the quarterback group themselves. Coach, obviously quarterbacks, and I think you, everyone thinks this of quarterbacks, they're watching, you know, tons of, of film on, on defense, you know, is – is that something that you think, and this is a little, you know, kind of out there, but is that something that is, do you think just as important for the rest of your offense, you know, offensive linemen, running backs, wide receivers, or are you, you know, are you more geared for them to watch themselves? Uh, and I don't know that that's asked a really good way other than, you know, to me it's so important for the quarterback to know what he's going to see, and, and it is important for – offensive linemen to, to know what they're going to see on on a Saturday but but or a Friday in our case but it seems like as a coach I can kind of put guys at least for the offensive line I can put guys where they're going to be to me it seems like they need to watch themselves more than they watch a defense prepare where do you fall in that spectrum as a whole offense maybe not quarterbacks maybe push push them aside as a whole offense how much are you you know percentage wise wanting them to watch who you guys got Saturday as opposed to what they personally are doing during the week? I'm a big believer that we got to take care of ourselves first. And at the end of the day, we've got to know what the defense is trying to do structurally, whether it's an odd front and even front, what they're looking, what their shell is, all those things. Those are huge. And the quarterbacks need to know them. And I think everybody needs to have a pretty good idea. Uh, but we are going to focus on ourselves and make sure that we are doing things the right way, using the right technique, 
being absolute technicians in the way we operate on the football field. And that's of the utmost importance. Um, but I would say that our offensive line is going to watch a, a pretty high amount of the opposing defense and, and just to see how they play and, and the different stunts and different blitzes that they're going to bring. And if this align, if you see this alignment, this is going to lead to this and et cetera, et cetera. On the perimeter, I'm much more concerned with our wide receivers understanding who they're going against. Not necessarily what the coverage is, but who are you going against? How can you attack this uh, specific defender? Is this guy handsy? Is this guy afraid of your speed? Is this guy going to bail? Is this guy got to tell? Um, I want them to focus on the individual. Uh, the running back position, I want them to know where the free hitter's coming from. And that's really important. That's why we utilize read zones so that we, we can try to create one free hitter instead of two free hitters, right? And so if we leave a week, um, a, a week or go into a game with the, our guys knowing those specific uh, um, pieces of the game plan or pieces of the defense we're going to see, then I feel like it's a success. And anything on top of that is gravy. But we are going to 100% focus on ourselves and make sure that we are playing. Uh, we are the best Warhawk football team, the best Warhawk offense we can possibly be going into that game. And then we try to accomplish the, the, the other tasks that I spoke on. Coach, before, before we let you go, and, and Coach Harper asked you the question, I, I got to know your Twitter handle, Petey Bananas. Give me the story behind Petey Bananas. I, you know, the, uh, so it actually goes that the, the nickname itself is Petey Danger Bananas. And that's a co stupid college thing based off of shows that we would watch as stupid college guys, right? Like Austin Powers <laughs> was Austin Danger Powers. So I was PD Danger. And then, you know, we watched a lot of Entourage and um, and there's also about the time Super Troopers came out. So Bananas was a, was a thing. <laughs> I'm also a huge, huge fan of MTV's The Challenge. I don't know if you guys watch that. Like I, I go back and have seen, I've seen them all. Like I'm like a, it's, it's my guilty pleasure. My wife, you know, I've got two small kids. I can't watch it in front of them. My wife thinks it's just a bunch of, I don't know. She thinks it's ridiculous, but I love it. And there's a guy on there that's called Bananas too. And so somehow through it all, it morphed into PD Danger Bananas. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in being me. And that's, that's who I am. And I think the Twitter handle speaks a little bit about who I am as a person. And, and um, I do enjoy having some fun. And, and I think that's uh, – I've been asked to change it. Let me just say that. I just can't, I can't bring <laughs> Never myself change to it. it. I can't bring myself to do it. Never. I'm telling you right now, don't ever change it. I love it. To me, again, you know, Coach Drinkall was on, and you know, he, he talked about when he was at, you know, Kansas Wesleyan, and he's like, we did, we did things different on the recruiting trail. You know, they'd show up. None of them ever wore suits. None of them ever wore, you know, the polos. They wear the NWO T-shirts and things like that. It stuck out. So, I mean, to me, individual – your personal stuff don't ever change it it's refreshing well i appreciate that a lot and i'm <laughs> i'm going to remember this conversation and i'm going to go back to this podcast someday if somebody actually makes me change it <laughs> <laughs> that's right well coach you also got you know you're talking about some of those movies which i think every football coach is into movies and shows but you also have you know the movie posters up uh, on, on your walls do any of those film clips, are you a film clip guy that, that you throw those into your meeting or into your packets when, you, when you're giving them out to your kids? Yeah, we do some, we do some goofy stuff. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Like our, our, scouting awesome. report, our scouting report always has something, uh, something on the cover that, that's probably not – I mean, it's not off color or anything like that, but it, 
doesn't need, it's not necessary for us to win a football right. game, right? It's just something that keeps it lively. And um, I'll do a, a, a start the week off with some type of, this is how we ended the seat or ended the game. This is what we need to work on. And then when we go to our Friday meeting, I mean, that usually has something, it's relatively serious uh, still, but then when we get to the Friday meeting, the end of the week meeting, we've all had a theme for that week. And we, we try to build off that theme, whether or not, you know, I, I try to think like, you know, we utilized our, we put our, our all American center in a, in a conductor's hat and said, it's the, it's the, it's the Nate train, right. All aboard. I don't know. Something yeah. like a couple of years ago, you know what I mean? Like just, we do try to have some fun that way. I, I at the end of the day, I tell everybody that, that I recruit, you're going to spend so much time with me and you're going to spend so much time with this coaching staff. You spend so much time with these players. You have to have fun. You have to enjoy it. And if you don't, it's going to be a miserable four years and you're probably not going to make it. And I don't want that. I want guys to genuinely enjoy practice and genuinely enjoy our meetings. And, and even though some of them can be long and even though some of them can be taxing and you're going to get tired, I want them to, I never want them to fear or feel uncomfortable in that environment because that's just not how football is supposed to be played in my opinion couldn't agree more like you said we they spend so much time up there that the the offense coordinators that i have that i you know the really good ones that i thought you know like like cliff uh when he was at houston was you know the things i remember aren't even hardly games that we play i forget most of the games that we played in but uh i remember when he put like uh the big boxer that put millions of dollars on it on us and put it on twitter and and cliff starts the the offensive meeting, putting that picture on Instagram or Twitter, whatever it was. Hey, look, Floyd Mayweather's got a million dollars on the Cougars this weekend. And that sticks out in my mind. But but a lot of stuff are the funny, like you said, not off color, but just kind of funny, different, weird pictures that, that they put up on the scouting reports. Those are the things that now, you know, whatever it is, six years removed that I, I remember from my college football days. And, and those were what made it fun. And the guys all loved it and, and kind of grabbed everyone's attention, really, before a meeting that, like you said, they can get long and boring, but if you can start them off like that or you can kind of relate to the kids, not only is it better for them to learn, I think, but, you know, me, me personally anyways, those are the things that I remember. 100%. I could, could not agree more. So, Coach, we've had you on for an hour, but before we let you go, what I always like to ask guys is when you're watching another team's offensive line play, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Finishing. And protecting the quarterback, um, I think those are those are two really big things that that speak to me. Right, one because I'm a former quarterback and I coach quarterbacks, and I want to see those guys stand upright. Right, like that's just a bias that I that I have. But the the finishing piece I think is supremely important because it shows a tenacity, it shows an aggressiveness, it shows that 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 school is recruiting the right guys or is teaching the guys the right way to play, which is, hey, you finish the play. You finish at 20 yards downfield. You finish at 50 yards downfield. Uh, you finish. And if it's not half a count after the whistle, then you're probably not doing, doing the, uh, the right thing. Um, we see so many different fronts and so many different looks. I mean, we see it all. Like, in, in, in the course of a game, we could see seven or eight different fronts, which is just foreign to me before I got here, right? Traditionally, you see a couple fronts. The team has a third down, whatever it may be, a third down package or – I uh, see a couple of different looks, but nothing crazy. Well, we see so many wonky fronts that I've really started to watch how people are picking each of these up and where they're leaving free hitters in the box, because that's one thing that I take a lot of pride on. We're not going to leave free hitters in the box very often. And 
definitely not on purpose. And I think there are times where you can see guys that are, are obviously leaving somebody unblocked and that's a schematic issue. And that means that they either weren't prepared um, or, uh, or yeah, weren't prepared or, or aren't being coached you know, how to adjust to the different, the different looks they're going to see. So if I see a team that's consistently leaving edge guys or high guys free opposed to anybody in the box, I, I tend to think pretty highly of those, those coaches as well. I love that answer, Coach. You know, you talk about the pass protection aspect. You know, you coach O-line, everyone wants to, to smash it, you know, and then you coach receivers, they want to throw it every single time. So I'd always kind of liken it that yin and yang, like, hey, man, the O-line, they don't like pass blocking as much. You know, it's a lot harder, more difficult, just like you guys probably don't like run blocking as much when we get those long runs. But when you see teams that do both of those things really well, block well on the perimeter or pass protect, you're probably having coaches that are really able to sell those guys on those things. There's no doubt about it. 100%. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.